0: Good morning and uh, welcome once again um, as we come together. Um, uh, For those of us who are on holiday over the Easter, I I hope you had a a good uh, time. And uh, for those returning to work, I I hope you didn't have any holiday hangovers. Um, And a a few years ago, uh, I I was in a prayer meeting and I got a picture of a big dusty book being taken off the shelf and the dust being blown again. And I, I shared this with the people that were praying together with. And um, I felt that the Lord was saying that it was time for us to blow the dust of the book of Acts. And for those of us who are unfamiliar with the Bible, the book of Acts is uh, the, the only and the earliest narrative that we have of what life was like uh, in the early Christian community over the first uh, 30 years. Now, we must not assume as we come to the Book of Acts and look at its narrative that it's like uh, looking at some old family photos, as it were. And now I know that there's some amongst us who who might not remember this experience of having uh, folders of of physical photos uh, called photo albums where we kept our our old family photos. And some would be very dim, uh, discolored black and white or uh, just the early color. And I remember the feelings that you'd get as you looked at these photos. They might be mixed for some, but uh, for me, there will be warm, fuzzy feelings, nostalgic, sentimental, and we can be tempted to approach the book of Acts uh, in that attitude. But I must be clear, that as we come uh, to the story of Acts, we're not coming to be uh, nostalgic or to be sentimental, but in fact, the book is alive. It is uh, living color. It's not just about us remembering what God did back then or the good old days, uh, but it's about what God did back then and is still able and in fact, eager to do in our day today. And I I, I really want to encourage for those who might not uh, identify as Christian, That uh, As you come to the book of Acts, uh, I want to be clear that as Christians throughout the ages, we have always been open uh, about what we believe and what we do. Uh, Not only do we welcome, invite, uh, and encourage uh, uh, inquiry, uh, we, we are very open about our acts and beliefs. And so even as you uh, listen to what I'm saying today, uh, I just want to uh, plead with you to set aside uh, any uh, presuppositions uh, that you might carry, uh, things that you have experienced in the church, things that might have caused you to doubt or reject Christianity. And in fact, to make an inquiry for yourself from what is written uh, about these early Christians. Having said that, Let's get into our text for today, we're in Acts chapter 2, we'll be reading from verse 41 to verse 47. But if I can just give us a brief reminder of where we were from last week, is that uh, we had uh, Peter uh, preaching to a crowd of devout Jews from all over the world, and something extraordinary had happened to attract the attention, and Peter explained what had happened, and then he also talked to them about Jesus and who he was, what he had done in dying and being raised again and being lifted up to God's right hand and invited them to put their faith in Jesus that they would be forgiven of their sins and that they would receive God's promised blessing of the Holy Spirit. And so this is where we enter our text today. It says that, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 people believed in the message that Peter brought and they took the radical step for a Jew in that day to be baptized, that is to be immersed, to be dunked in water. And and this was something that was reserved for non-Jews coming into Judaism or or people who are uh, 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 known as as really uh, big sinners uh, uh, in that day. But we see that the Jews uh, who were devout took on this uh, act of being baptized. And this signified that they were uh, cutting off the past. They were, in in effect, dying with Christ and being raised to new life together with him. But not only was this something that was personal for them, they were not just dying to their old life. They were actually being uh, joined into a new community. And, And this is what today's text is about. And we continue reading in verse 42, it says that, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. As we look at this passage we won't have time to go into depth in each point but i'd like to briefly highlight Uh, five aspects, five things about the early church that distinguished them from their community. And these are not just five things for the early church, but would I suggest that these are five things that are applicable to every church, whatever geography and whatever time. These are to be things that are found within the community. These are to be things that the community of believers commit themselves to. These are things that are uh, to be found within their everyday life, to be replicated, nurtured, and indeed treasured uh, even within one tribe as a church. And the first and foundational thing is that they shared one faith. Verse 41 says that they received Peter's word and from now on they will be referred to as believers, as disciples, as brothers. And now I want you to notice that uh, it doesn't say that they agreed to what Peter said. It doesn't say that they took it on and they analyzed it. It says that they received. And this act of receiving, what I'm calling faith, is when we take the word, when we take that which has been spoken and and believe in it, treasure it in our hearts, and not just believe in it, but begin to act on it. It changes the way that we live. Now, faith is not about saying a prayer or or attending to some religious ritual. Uh, We see that they reoriented their lives. They reoriented their priorities priorities. Faith in the Bible is powerful because it unites us to Christ, but not only to Christ, it also unites us to the community of those who share this faith with us. Faith is not about you making a commitment or resolution to to do better or to try harder or to live differently, but it is about accepting what Christ has done for you, what Peter had just described to these Jews, that Jesus was crucified and that he rose again and that now he was at the right hand of power, he reigned over all things and that he would return to judge the living and the dead. When, When you believe this, when you accept it, when you receive it in your heart and it changes you. Faith is like lighting a fire. When you light a fire, you expect that you have heat and you have light. And this is what Christ comes and does in you. His, His heat and his light reflect and they come out of you into the world around you. And this, my friends, is exactly what we see happening in our text because it affected the way they lived their lives. Faith also means that you you don't uh, 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 become part of this community uh, through hereditary means to say, well, I'm I'm from a Christian country. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm from a Christian family. Yes, I grew up. I I was in this or that church. I've got got Christian parents. They're devout. I, I went to a Christian school. None of this is faith. Faith is hearing, believing, and acting. the word and I I want to ask you this morning have you received this word I'm not asking you about your background I'm not asking about the pedigree of your family in the church I'm asking you as a person have you received and have you acted on this word also notice that they, they were not a social or economic or political club they were not joined together by having common interests. They are not joined together by being in the same phase of life. They are not joined together just by being in the same geography. No, friends. Jesus was the foundation of their relationship. And this is why, as a church, we're committed not to being joined together by race, by tribe, by educational uh, attainment, or by economic status. In fact, we we get very worried when we've got a homogeneous group in our community because the foundation is faith. And friends, anyone can believe in this Jesus. Now, the next thing that marked them was their one devotion. Notice in verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves. Now, you might think it's unnecessary for me to point out that they is in the plural. But in, in today's world where individualism reigns, where self has got the priority, where people describe becoming Christian as, as receiving Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, where many feel that it's, it's, it's an option to live this Christian life alone, like Wolverine from the, the X-Men movies say, I work best alone. Yet this is foreign to our text, where people are described as being saved and added, two sides of a sandwich. They go hand in hand. The next thing is about them being devoted. And this word means that they were continuously, and and one commentator puts it, obstinately, gave themselves over to the activities that we're doing. They persevered in them. They didn't do it because it was easy or or convenient, but because Christ had become precious to them and they were filled with his Holy Spirit. Luke lists four things that I'm not going to spend a lot of time in because you'll find a message from earlier last year that goes into detail. But these four things are that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. Now, this was not a a general devotion to the Bible or or to the law. The Jews of that day would have been devoted to the law in various ways. They would have had it written on their doorposts. They would have had it on their clothing. They would have uh, listened to the reading every Sabbath day. But they were not just devoted to the law as it was in their day. They were devoted to the apostles teaching because the apostles were teaching them about Christ. The apostles were committing to them what Christ had taught them about himself and about the kingdom of God. And now there were new implications because he had risen from the dead. There were new implications about who they were in Christ. There were new implications about his sovereign rule over all the world and how that would affect the way they were living in that day. Friends, the the, the point wasn't about enlarging their Bible knowledge but it was about understanding the purposes of God in Christ and in their day. And this is what apostolic teaching does. The next thing that we see them uh, devoted to was the fellowship. What I'll call the life together, their common life, their life together as a community. Most of what Luke then describes could be an expansion of this common life. But it goes to reinforce the point that i made that this christian life should not be lived alone they were devoted to the life together the next thing that we see is that they were devoted to the breaking of bread And Luke by this could be meaning to the sharing of meals that he describes uh, uh, later, but also that uh, uh, it was sharing in a common meal that remembered what Jesus had done for them. It's described as breaking bread when they share bread and wine, what we call communion or the Eucharist today. Final thing is that they were devoted to prayer. Again, in Scripture, we find so many encouragements. Jesus himself encouraged his his disciples always to pray and never give up. Paul would later encourage churches to be constant in prayer. Devote yourselves in prayer. Pray without ceasing. I want men everywhere to pray with their hands lifted high. What's also quite telling is what they were not devoted to. We don't read that they were devoted to to buildings or, or bands, preachers or outward appearances, drawing big crowds. Notice the simplicity and attractiveness of their community. In verse 43, we read that everyone was in awe. The implication is not just those who are in the community, but even those who are around them. They had a great reputation within the city. Bible teacher John MacArthur says this, They weren't awed by the church because of its buildings, programs, or anything reflecting human ability, but by the supernatural character of its life. Such an effect should be produced when the spiritual gifts properly operative. Now, if we're honest, in many places, non-believers can hardly be be, be said to be viewing the church with awe, (laughs) at best with apathy, at worst with mistrust and ridicule. But could it be that those of us who are within, within the community also don't view this community with awe? Could it be that we also have have lost the awe of our common life together? The awe of being joined together in in Christ? The awe of of having God's presence amongst us and within us? And this brings me to my next point, is that they were marked by being a people of one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Everything that we've spoken about and indeed we'll, we'll talk about is made lively, is quickened by the Holy Spirit. Their faith, their devotion, is the work of God's Spirit. The very addition of 3,000 people when Peter spoke was the work of the Spirit. And somehow, along the way, many believers have taken on the thinking of 17th and 18th century enlightenment, that all we need is science and knowledge. But we see in this early community, they were marked by the Spirit. You see, in in the Old Testament, in Exodus, when God took out the Israelites from Egypt and led them through the the desert, they had the pillar of fire by day. Don't don't imagine that uh, 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 this was a small cloud, the pillar of cloud by day that protected them from the heat of sun. There could have been uh, two million Israelites. Can you imagine how big that cloud was? And they're the pillar of fire by night. They kept them warm and led them where they ought to go. Just as the Israelites had the pillar of cloud by day, the visible mark of God's presence, so today the church has the visible mark of God's presence through the gifts of the Holy Spirit and through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and through the anointed leadership that God provides. And in Acts, Luke describes so many works that that were signs that pointed to God and wonders that that were miraculous acts of power, healing of crippled people, raising of the dead, expelling of of evil spirits that were uh, oppressing people. And you might say, well, that's all, that's all well and good for the Bible times or the apostles there. Can we expect that today? Yes. One guy called Dave Devinish, who some of us personally know, he tells this story. He says that I was teaching a course on healing and deliverance when a brother who had been a missionary in East Africa brought a woman to me for prayer. She was suffering from terminal cancer and had not been given long to live. I first prayed for her in tongues, and the brother later said to me, Did you know you were praying for healing in fluent Swahili? I had no idea, of course. Many years later, I received a letter from that lady to confirm that the cancer had gone at that moment, and she was still well. We know Dave Devonish is an ordinary man, doesn't speak Swahili, is British, former banker. Nothing extraordinary about him except that he's filled with the one spirit. Friends, today, there are many testimonies from around the world of what God is still doing in our times and in our day. And the church is to be marked by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, brings me to my next point, is that he produces love. The one love. So so far we've spoken about the one faith, the one devotion, the one spirit, and now I want to speak about the one love. If we could distill everything about their common life together, if if there was only one word needed to describe it, it would be love. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the goal of Christian teaching, the goal of Christian living is love. And this is in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says that the aim of our charge is love. One commentator says this, The Jews had a tremendous custom of hospitality during any major feast like Pentecost. Visitors were received into private homes and no one could charge for giving a bed or a room to a visitor or for supplying their basic needs. The Christians took this tremendous feast time hospitality and made it an everyday thing. Friends, the one love went beyond what was expected, even within their cultural expectations. Africans are known for being hospitable, for welcoming people into their home and sharing their food. I remember growing up, you know, when we were having a meal with meat, one of the things that you didn't want to hear was a knock at the door. Because you knew that when that visitor comes in, My mom would take all our plates and begin to portion out. And this was just African hospitality. Friends, when when the Holy Spirit has come and created a new community, we have love that even goes beyond what's the cultural norm or expectation within our community. This marked them out. This distinguished them even among the hospitable Jews. Some of us will will remember Bob Marley's song. One love, one heart, let's get together and feel all right. And Bob Marley, it's a a lovely, wonderful song, but he's talking about getting together and feeling all right. Friends, we we see in this love, it's not just a feeling, but it, it works out practically. It was a love that not just affected their emotions, but affected their wallets. Here, we see true love that's active, not passive. It was marked by unprecedented hospitality, by unknown uh, practical and and sacrificial generosity, and a deep commitment to relationship. In verse 45, it says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And that term that's used for their possessions and their belongings, it could refer to land and property. And I know that's a thing that cuts the heart even within Kenya, where land is so prized, that someone would be willing to say, well, I've got a piece of land in in Nakuru. I've got a piece of land in Naivasha. I've got a piece of land in Westlands. But hey, you don't have school fees. I'm going to sell that piece of land and provide for your school fees. Hey, you've got a need. You've got a relative in in hospital. Wow, the hospital bill is so big. We're going to chip in. Friends, this was the love of this community. The one love. And as I finish up, I've spoken about the one faith, one devotion, one spirit, one love. The last thing that we see that distinguished them was the one mission. Luke is at pains to show that they've become a distinguished, a distinct community. Yet they were still part of the wider community. We see them still uh, participating and going to the temple with all the other Jews. We see them having a good reputation within their Jewish community. They were in the world, so to speak, but not off the world. And, friends, this is because they were committed to this one mission. Christianity is not a place where we go and hide, we have a, a bunker mentality. You know those, those bunkers of the Cold War era where uh, you hear that there's going to be nuclear war and you say, no, let, let's go and hide, let's go and be safe. This, this kind of thinking began to creep into the church and you had the establishment of the monasteries, but it wasn't so at the beginning. We're not to have a, a, a community of super spiritual people who break themselves off from the rest of the world and say we, we are just going to be here and commit to our one faith, one devotion, one spirit, one love and, and cut off the rest of the world. No friends, Jesus said we are to be the salt of the earth. In the earth, the light of the world. And this is because This mission is not of their own making. This mission is the mission of God. What we see here was just the seed form of God forming this community. And we see it embryonic with just Jews. But as we go through the book of Acts, we begin to see people from different nations, different cultures being drawn in. We see people drawn in from from, uh, the rich and the poor. We see people drawn in from whatever a level of education or socioeconomic status, radically inclusive because it represents the mission of God. We're not to be navel-gazing, inward-looking, even though we've got much to celebrate in our faith and in our love and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but God still calls us to the one mission. As we see fittingly at the end of our text, it says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The passage starts with the addition of new members to this community and closes with the addition of new members. As if Luke is saying that all of this, this new community is to, is to live in perpetual dynamism of new people coming in and being added. And I know I said that I'm not trying to draw us to nostalgia or, or sentimentalism, but friends, I don't know how you feel as, as you read that text, as you hear of this life, of, or, or, of this first community of believers, and compare it with our own expression of Christianity today. Maybe you're like me and we, you have those pangs of longing and desire to say, Lord, won't you do it again? We've heard of mighty acts, signs and wonders being done at the hands of apostles. But won't you do it again in Nairobi, Kenya, today? one of the things that really stood out for me as I was preparing was that the apostles were not old people. When we watch movies about Jesus, you have these middle-aged men kind of following him. I remember one had a balding guy, but it's very likely that some of Jesus' disciples would have been teenagers, what he called them, and none of them would have been above the age of 30. These were young guys in their 20s, Yet God was using them. Not only was God using them, God entrusted the leadership of of this early church, this most important of tasks. And and he used them through his Holy Spirit. And I, I look at the young people of our city. I look at the young people of our church. I look at the young people of Africa and I say, God, won't you do it again? We're in a culture that, that looks down, that sometimes can look down upon youth. But here we see youth being honored by God and used for his purposes. And I said, God, won't you do it again? Won't you, won't you do it again? Establish us again in that one faith. Cause us to be a people again of on one devotion. Causes us to be a people again who are marked by your spirit. A people who are marked by radical, sacrificial love and who are marked by your mission. If you agree with me, why don't you just say amen as we close. Amen.